uh, we shared uh, about the Beatitudes. Um, I talked last week, uh, if you weren't with us, just to kind of catch up. Um, Jesus was a radical. His message was radical. Uh, it was not what everybody else was preaching. You know, it wasn't what everybody else was doing. Uh, there wasn't very many, you know, John the Baptist, we tend to think of him as a radical because, you know, he's out yelling in the street, you know, everywhere, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we tend to think of Jesus as more, or uh, John as more of a radical, you know, this wild-haired guy that's wearing, um, you know, animal cloth because that's the way TV. But Jesus was a real radical, the stuff that he said. I mean, you know, this is the guy that said to everybody, Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. I mean, he was, his message was not the message of the day. Uh, it wasn't what everybody else was doing. So when he got up to do this message that he did in this called the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to teach the Beatitudes, which if you wonder what the word Beatitudes means, it's a Latin term that means blessings. So what he's going to do is he's going to talk to us about, he's going to talk to the people about the blessings that come for us in our lives, the blessings that are available to us. And he's really, these, these things that he talks about are really character-building issues that he's going to bring up. The first one he brings up is he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, out, of all of the, out of all of the ones, the Beatitudes that he uses, that he gives, this is the only one that he gives that's right now. If you're poor in spirit, he said, right now, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And that, that's really powerful. And we talked about how that to be poor in spirit, how that it means to really in our life that we're at a point where we don't know where else to go. We don't know what else to do. We've, we've expended our resources. And I shared with you last week about how God gave me a word uh, about uh, that this is a time that he's calibrating his people. I talked about last week about how that you calibrate a rifle. My, uh, my pastor, Mark Barkley, uh, some of you might have caught the program this morning. Did anybody catch that? The, the, uh, yeah. And uh, we talked, uh, he and I are doing four weeks of this on, on television, um, talking about the word of the Lord for 2020. But I talked about calibration, how that, you know, he, he worked with snipers and he, he's helped a lot of guys in shooting school and how that, um, that he always talked about to calibrate your weapon the right way that you have to set it at zero and then you start to move it clicks to move it to the right to get your scope. You know, it's interesting too, um, uh, Wendy Olgin brought this up last week. You know, if you shoot a gun at an indoor range, whatever it's calibrated at at the indoor range won't necessarily work in an outdoor setting. And a lot of times in church, what we do is, is that we get our calibration set in church, but then we go out into the world and we have to realize that things are, the world is dynamic, it's not static, it, things change. And so we have to always, every day, start at zero and say, Lord, what would you have me do? What are you saying to me today? Lord, what does your word, why we need those daily devotions? And I think sometimes why we miss it in the world, and, I, and Wendy was sharing this with me, that... Uh, we miss this in the world is, is that helping people is because we're just calibrating for here. We're just calibrated for indoor settings. You know, there's no wind here. I mean, hopefully there's the wind of the Holy Spirit, but you, you understand what I'm saying, uh, that things become different when we get outside the building. 
So we want to be calibrated every single day of our lives, and we want whatever situation we are, we always want to keep that place of humility in our life that we're saying, listen, Lord, I don't know what to do. You tell me what to do. You, you guide me. And so when we talked about this being blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying, look, this is how you, this is the key that unlocks all of what I want you to have. You know, the, the, the passage in where he talks about the Lord's Prayer, he says, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You want to unlock heaven into your life, the only way to do that is through humility. In fact, I'll tell you that you can't really have faith without humility. You can't have faith. Because see, the, the opposite of being humble or being poor in spirit or having humility is to be prideful. And I shared with you last week that how the, you know, when we look at like, um, we look at the perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah and we go, well, God just, you know, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of its perversion. Well, the perversion was a result of the real problem. And it talks about this in Ezekiel chapter 16, where it says that God says that he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom, because of, its, because of the pride that it had. See, pride is where we become self-sufficient. We figure we've got it, we can do this ourselves. It is the complete opposite of being poor in spirit that, Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? You know, I look at Jesus and, and you know, the Son of God. I mean, we all, the, the, the beauty of, of who he is, that he is, he is God incarnate in this earth when he was on this earth, and he's God incarnate to this day in, in flesh. But yet every day, he was spending time in prayer. Why does God need, why would he need to spend time? Because see, that's that humility of spirit that he spends time in prayer. That's why prayer is so hard for us, because we're a prideful people. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good right now. We are, because if when something goes wrong, we'll say things like, well, I guess there's nothing else we can do but pray, Okay. Why did it end up that prayer was the last thing when all your nothing else would work? <laughs> that's how we think, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking at us. I'm just saying, look, that's how we think as humans that we'll figure out a way. We'll get on YouTube or, or whatever. We'll figure out how to make this work or we'll, we'll search it on Google and we'll come up with an answer. But there are times you face them where you don't know what to do. You don't know... You've kind of expended all your resources for knowledge and information. Now you're in that poor of spirit mentality, and when you're in that place, that's when the kingdom can be yours because you're in a total reliance upon the Lord. Amen? In a total reliance uh, upon the Lord. Um, I, I want to get into this next part of it, but I want to have you turn to the Old Testament real quick with me to the book of Genesis. And uh, I want to share with you in the book of Genesis here um, about Adam and Eve and, of course, a, story, a, a testimony you're well familiar with. You know how that the serpent, chapter 3, shows up and he begins to tempt Eve and, uh, and begins to talk to her about the tree that God has told them not to eat from. And... I want you to notice here in chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the rest of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, uh, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay? Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And so if you write in your Bible, I have you underline that word like God or circle it, that you will be like God. And then the last part is knowing good and evil. So what's the, what's the real opportunity that he's, he's saying you'll get from eating this tree? You won't need God. If you're like God, you don't need God. If you already know what good and evil is, then you're self-sufficient. You're making your own choices. And that's kind of where our society is today, is, is that, you know, in the world that we live in, that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's in, there's a lot of similarities to what's talked about at the end of the book of Judges, that everyone does what's right in their own sight. You read that last part of the book of Judges, I mean, it's just amazing that they just, you know, what works for me, whatever you know, that works for me, or whatever feels, you know, like we say in the 70s, if it feels good, do it, right? So, you know, these things that, that, that get into our thinking, that we become self-sufficient, or we, we don't need God. We, it doesn't say they didn't believe in God, because they knew God. They had experience with God, right? But, you know, it's like Stephen was sharing earlier, I thought it was so powerful that, you know, that, you know, the difference between being a Christian and being a Bible believer is, is that the Bible believer is saying, I'm not self-sufficient. The Christian says, well, in my eternity, I need a place to be able, I need some kind of fire insurance to make sure I don't go to hell. So I believe in God. I believe that there's a heaven. I believe that, you know, that Jesus came. I believe he died on the cross. All those things are, are powerful statements. But then let's take it down. Let's take, let's take it down before eternity comes to your life. Let's take it down to today. So how much of your life is God in control of? How much of your decision-making is God in control of? See, the enemy here is providing this, this avenue to them and say, look, you eat from this tree, God knows you're going to be like him. So he's trying to keep this from you. And because of that, you won't know what's good and evil. And so it goes on, it says, and you know, she saw it and she wanted it and whatever. Now, here's, here's something really powerful for us to think about. The Lord spoke this to me this morning. It was Adam and Eve's, and because Adam's there the whole time, so don't, don't for a minute think that Eve's all to blame here, even though that's who Adam tried to blame. What the... What the enemy is trying to do is he's using this thing that's in our lives that we, that we all wrestle with, and that's impatience. See, impatience, see, if Adam and Eve would have followed the right course, they would have known good and evil because God would have told them. But their own impatience and their desire to have it all now was a driver behind them taking from the tree. Because they just wanted to, look, we're not waiting on God to tell. Because we know God was coming down and talking to them every day, right? God was spending time with them. They walk, He'd come down in the cool of the day, walk with them in the garden, speak to them, guide them. They could ask Him questions. 
you know, well, what about this? What about that? You know, and he would tell them and he would guide them and show them. But instead, because they wanted it all now. See, that's what, that's what sin does to our lives. Sin is the quick path to get what we want. You know, the best, let, me, let me tell you, like uh, we talk about wealth. I believe in being wealthy. I absolutely do. I believe in being prosperous. I absolutely believe in that. But the path to true prosperity isn't a lot in a moment. It's a little over time. It's a little over time. Here a little, there a little. Right? You want everything now. You want to lose 30 pounds by, by next Sunday. But it's not going to happen, all right? Because what you're going to have to, anything you do to get there quick, you won't be able to sustain it. Now, I'm not going to ask this question, but I'm just using weight because we are all familiar with dealing with this. Has anybody ever lost weight and gained it back? All right, don't raise your, you don't have to raise your hands, okay. <laughs> Has anybody lost a lot of weight and gained it back? Oh, yeah. I mean, I meet people all the time. Oh, yeah, I lost 30 pounds on Atkins. I lost 30. I did keto, and I lost 25 pounds. I did this. I did Weight Watchers. I did, you know, whatever. All right? Anything that you receive quickly will be hard to sustain. Wealth gotten overnight is hard to keep. One, because you're not acclimated or calibrated to be able to handle it. So you're going to make bad decisions. The same is true that, you know, you lose 30 pounds, you start thinking about, well, now, you know, I've suffered enough. I'm off to McDonald's, right? It's time for ice cream every day. I mean, you know, look, I've put, I've done it. Woohoo! I made it. I made my goal weight. And now what? Well, you know, we talk about how could I lose 52 pounds this year? Just a pound a week. Oh, gosh, Pastor. That's See, it's our own impatience. It's the impatience that Adam and Eve had to have it. And that's what the enemy uses. Get it quick. Get it now. You, you, you gotta, if you do it all right now, it's, it's like, you know, we get really excited about, you know, um, beginning of the year, you know, most resolutions are gone within 21 days. And uh, we get excited about working out. Oh, man, I'm just thrilled with that. So what do we do? We go to the gym and work out for an hour and a half. Guess what? We're not going back. You'd have been better off doing 20 minutes to start doing something and add to it than you would have been to try to think of that I got to block off an hour and a half for every, every day for the, next, the rest of my life. Your impatience will not allow you to do that. You have to develop that muscle in your life. The same financially, the, the tithing and the offering giving and, and the health and your marriage and everything about our, our spiritual growth. You're not going to get it all overnight. You get it a little bit at a time. Amen. So when we talk about Adam and Eve, we see that their impatience allowed them to be deceived in this whole situation. They're deceived because of it. Get it quick. Get it now. Now, Jesus is telling us that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's trying to convey to us is, is that, look, you have to calibrate, you have to come back to that zero point of allowing me to guide and lead your life, and here's what will happen. You're going to have to do that every day for the rest of your life. Now, the next part of this verse, these verses, is where Jesus then says, blessed 
are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay? Blessed are those who mourn. Now, when we think about mourning, right away we start thinking about our mourning, right? Because where we would mourn. So one of the, uh, one of the uh, theologians I was reading after with this said that verse 2 is really a repercussion of verse 1. That when you and I, when we're poor in spirit, the emotional response is a type of mourning because we feel separated from where we want to get to, okay? So when we go back to zero, there's a point as we calibrate to zero, there is a mourning that happens within us because we're not there yet, all right? But here's the promise from his word. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So let's dig into this verse a little bit here. Mourning is an emotional response. It's something that we respond to because of separation. You know, when my mom died, I mourned. I mean, I, I, I wasn't overwhelmed with mourning because there was something that was sustaining me through my mourning, okay? Are you with me? There was something that sustained me through my mourning. So when I was going through the death of my mom, I had to, I had, I had to work through what it is I believe in my life. What is it I believe about what's happening here? It didn't mean I wasn't sad, because see, death is a separation, right? You know, um, we, we mourn because we are separated from something. You know, so when we go to a funeral, I have a funeral tomorrow that I'm doing. When you go to the funeral, there will be a mourning that will happen because it, it appears on the surface that we are permanently separated from that individual. They're gone and that we no longer can interact with them. The only thing that we carry, have with us are the memories that we have of the past with that individual. Is everybody with me right now? So we mourn because of that, because we real, the finality of it, that it feels so final, that it feels like it's over. But yet, is that really the truth? Is that really, is that really what the Scriptures teach us? Well, the Scriptures teach us something totally different than that, that it's not final. That even though the flesh, I mean, I'm not going to turn to all the verses because you're familiar with them, but even though the flesh, it may seem that it's final with that fleshly interaction with that individual, their spirit, the nature of who they are is still very much alive. And now, if they're a believer in Christ, is in heaven, and the, the Bible promises us that when Christ comes, that those who have gone before will come again with him. So one of two ways we'll see those people, either when we have left this earthly suit and we are now in heaven, we'll see them again. And I can't tell you how many people, I mean, listen, I can't tell you how many people that I have dealt with on their last moments who already were seeing people that had gone before we're talking to them in the room. You know, the veil, I, you and I, because we just live this life 24-7, we, 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 we put a lot more stock in this fleshly life than, than look, it, that veil is so thin between earth and heaven. It's so, it's, so, it's so thin. We don't see it because we just get wrapped up in what we see here. But they start seeing, you know, I mean, they start talking to people that aren't even in the room. 
Now, some people would say, well, they're just delirious and, you know, it's their mind trying to figure out what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Well, the Bible tells us this is encouraging, that we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, we don't even realize it. That in that cloud of witnesses, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us in chapter 12 that that cloud, that there's people like Elijah in that cloud. There's people like John the Baptist in that cloud. There's people like Samson in that cloud. There's people like David in that. There's all these people that are in that great cloud of, they're there. We don't see them, but they're there. And they're witnessing to our lives that, look, no matter what's going on here, no matter how tough it gets down here, there is a comfort that comes that will remove the morning from your life. Hallelujah. You know, the, the psalmist David would say it like this to us, sorrow may last for a night, but joy is about to show up in the morning. Hallelujah. It's just a night. It's not a lifetime. Now, it can be a lifetime if you allow it to be, but joy can show up in the morning. So separation. Now, we talk about this, this idea of mourning comes through separation. It's what we feel that we are denied, what we do not have access to. And the promise of the Scripture is, is that, according to this, is that they will be comforted. The word comforted here is used many times throughout the, the, the Bible, and it's in the New Testament. It's the Greek word parakleo, and, it, and it, what it means, the one called alongside. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is our comforter. And that He would be there with us in the midst of that the Holy Spirit, whether we recognize it or not, that He's with us even in the worst of moments of our life, that His presence is there. Now, we may not be in touch with it because we're so caught up in the moment of what we're dealing with, but, it, but His presence is there. I mean, how many of us could say that Something happened in our life, and when it was over with, we realized that God had been with us to get us through that. Sure. That we would have been, it would have been it, man. You know, some, some crazy accident or something that happened or some weird situation, and you knew that God had protected you, that He had watched over you. Well, the Holy Spirit is here whether we're seeing Him at work or not. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is not off in a distant future. Hallelujah. It's here now. So when he says here, blessed are those who mourn or those who have a sense of separation or what we could call, sep and you've heard of this before, what's called separation anxiety. We live in the most anxious society today. You know, I think about, you know, we, we kind of, our world has become much more weenie-ish. Weenie-ish. I made a word up. We're weenies today. And, and it, we are, all right? All right, so people that lived through World War II, you think of what they went through, families what they went through. You know, Joe, when his, when his uh, was it your sister was born that you told me that, the, and they named her what? They named her Jackie. His dad, who was overseas fighting in the war, he knew that Jackie had been born, but he didn't even know if Jackie was a boy or a girl. I mean, there was so much information that wasn't available. And here he's fighting on the other side, of, you know, in the, in, the, in the heat of battle. Families and things that people were dealing with, that they were, they were 
but they weren't living in anxiety and fear. Churches were full of people who were, who were praying and saying they were at a place in their lives where they were poor in spirit. They didn't, see, sometimes we don't really get close to God until we realize how poor in spirit we really are. We're poor in spirit whether we recognize it or not. Because we've, got, we've become so anxious in our society today, and the reason we're so anxious is because we're not coming to a place of recognition that, listen, God is with us. Philippians chapter 4 says, don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Don't let anxiety rule in your heart. Well, I don't know. I got a doctor's appointment. I'm, I'm really nervous. See, that's anxiety trying to get in. You're already preparing yourself for failure. Why do we prepare ourselves to fail? Has God ever been faithful to you in the past? Has He ever stood? Has He ever helped you before? Well, listen, if He did it before, I got great news for you. He can do it again. Amen. Why not be hopeful? Why not have, and, and I'm going to show you why we're not. I'll, I'll give that to you here in just a minute. But, but I want you to see the power of this that happens in our life. In our society today, the anxiety medication is going off the shelves to help people to deal with anxiety. Because we're, and, and the, the root of that is fear. The root of anxiety is fear. Anxiety in the heart, the Bible says, causes depression. Flat out. Do we live in a society of depression today? Absolutely we do. We're living in a great economy, and then we're in a, in a, in a and we're, I mean, even though there are battles going on, uh, you know, our nation is having peace within it, at least. You know, and, and yet people are fearful of what could happen, of what could go wrong. We've got we to gotta get some, some spiritual fortitude in our lives once again. Cur spiritual courage to stand up, not worry about, oh, I don't know. Boy, I hope I don't lose my job. Boy, I hope I have enough money in the bank. Boy, I hope I can make it. Boy, I hope I don't get cancer. Boy, I hope I don't get this, that, the other thing. Hope my kids make it to have. Look, stop all the nonsense. You're mourning over stuff you don't need to mourn over already. So how do we break the mourning? How do we do it? Well, here's, here's what the Scriptures teach us. God counteracts mourning in our life by giving us joy. If you look at Isaiah, in fact, why don't you turn there with me to Isaiah 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Man, I love this. Isaiah 61. And uh, I want you to look at, um, I, I'm, going to re, I'm going to read several parts of this, but uh, uh, I'll probably skip around a little bit. The Spirit of the Lord, this is, Jesus quotes this later on in, in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, poor in spirit, those who are poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise 
the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then these who God says that, look, I want to give you the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise, okay? The garment of praise, he says, for the spirit of heaviness. So here's some things to think about here. Is there a spirit of heaviness? Yeah. Yes, there is. And that heaviness can weigh what it, it it's heavy, man. You know, it weighs you down, right? It's something that, that, that pulls at you, it drags you, it, it, it slows you down. If you've ever, I've had the opportunity to do this, you know, where you run with ankle weights on. And, uh, you know, when you wear those weights or you wear a weighted vest or you put uh, wrist uh, weights on and you go, I used to go and when I was in high school and in college, I used to wear ankle weights when I would play uh, basketball because I was building my legs up and building my strength up. Now, it's so powerful because when you get used to that weight, you also now recognize when the weight is gone. When it's gone. Because you take those ankle weights off, Man, you feel like you could, you feel like you're wearing PF flyers, man. You can run fast. You probably don't, some of you don't know what those are. But, you know, you got red ball jets on, man. You're able to run higher and jump, jump higher and run faster and do more than you were ever able. That's how you feel. That's how our spiritual life should feel. We should feel the freedom, the liberty of the spirit of heaviness being taken off of our lives. God wants us to have the oil of joy for the mourning that we go through in our lives, those things that we feel we are separated from. Now look, you say, well, okay, so if I can have that, how do I get it? How do I get that in my life? Well, the Bible's real clear about it. Look at Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Hallelujah. Woo! Verse 16. Your words, God, were found. I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. How does one get to a place? How does one get to a place? where they receive the oil of joy. You have to find the Word. You have to find the Word. You have to find what the Word says. You have to go to the Scripture. And then when you find what the Word says. All right, so going back to what I said about my mom. When my mom died, I was sad, man. That's it. You know, I looked at her in her casket. I mean, it's over. And, and you know, and I felt... I mean, I did not feel good. I did, but here's what I have to do. I have to find the Word. Because, see, without the Word, we have no hope. Where do we go? What are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? But with the Word, what God says in His Word, you and I find the hope to know that we are now connected to something greater than what we can see. I felt separated from her. But because of what the Scriptures teach, I felt connected to her. Are you with me? 
I'm connected to a truth that bridges heaven and earth. I'm connected to a truth. My faith is connected to a truth that bridges heaven and earth. I don't see God, but I know He's there. I don't know He's there because I feel Him. I know He's there because I found His Word, and now I have joy. I have joy. You know, early Christians that ended up losing their lives for their faith, and you go through the years. I mean, you know, you some of you heard about, like, um, this isn't an earlier Christian, but, you know, during the medieval times, John Huss, who was a great preacher of the gospel, and they actually were going to burn him at the stake. And he, you know what he told him? He said, you won't have to tie me up. Just throw me in the fire. I'm going to be just fine. I'm going to be just fine. You know, the, uh, in the movie, The Apostle Paul, if you ever get a chance, the new one that was out, get a chance to watch that. It's so, it's, it's, it's so powerful because all these Christians are gathered in prison and, and they hear the rumor that they're all going to be killed. They're all going to be thrown to lions and burned at the stake and all the different things that are going to happen. There's kids in the room, and I mean fear. You can just see it come into the room and everyone's afraid. And Luke is there. And Luke is in the room with all of them, and he begins to talk to them. And you know how he helps every one of them? Because he reminds them of a truth that surpasses what's happening in this earth. Now look, you may never have to give your life for Christ, and, you know, and I pray that that doesn't happen to anybody. But here's the thing. In that moment, to face it without fear, you will have to be connected to something greater than yourself. You'll have to be connected to a truth. See, when you face financial crisis, you're going to have to be connected to a truth that's greater than what you see. When you're connected to a, a health crisis, you're going to have to be connected to something greater than what you see. Or you will mourn and not be comforted and not be comforted. I think in our society, in our world today, why we're so weenie-ish, I'll put parentheses around it because it's not a real word, is because we're not connected to the right stuff. We're connecting to what the media tells us. We're connecting to what we read, what we see what we hear at work, what we hear in the economy, what we hear from politicians. We're too connected to that and not connected to the Word. The Word is what will give us the joy that we need in our lives. The Word is what will give us the joy that we need to go forward and to realize that, look, no matter what... How, you know, when we talk about that, that passage in Romans chapter 12, or, yeah, chapter 12 where he goes on, or 10, I think it is, he says that neither height nor depth nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come shall separate it. None of these things shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. I mean, that none of these things can separate us. And here, how do we say that? I mean, how can we say that you could go through death or life or, or famine or nakedness and all that and not be separated I know, I know some believers, their faith is so weak that if they don't have all the money they want, they're, they're giving up. 
If they get one more bad report, they quit. I give up. I, I, it's not real. It doesn't work. Look, neither death nor life nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come. Well, if this person gets into office, that's it. We're done. As in, look, I'm telling you, we've got to be connected to something greater than what's going on in politics. We've got to be connected to something greater that's going, that, that's going on in Gratiot County or Midland County or Saginaw County or whatever. We've got to be connected to something greater or what will happen is mourning will take us over and we will feel separated and alone. Is this helping anybody? Jesus heals the brokenhearted. Jesus gives us the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We're supposed to be trees of righteousness, standing up, you know, like these mighty oaks in my yard. You know, man, these things are awesome. They have such a deep, I shared with you a couple weeks ago, you know, the, the tall oaks that stand in my front yard. They have, if you took all the roots and put them end to end, they're a mile long. There's a, there's a root system that's so vast that's there that sustains the height and the weight. You know, that's oak. It's not light. It's, the branches are not light, but yet it stands firm even when there's been 60, 70 mile an hour winds and they still stand. Why? Because they're rooted some, into something deep. Ephesians tells us that you and I, that we are to be rooted and grounded into the Word of God, into the love that God has for us so that no matter what comes, no matter what we face, that we will overcome, we will come through this. It might be tough. Sorrow may last for the night, but we know joy will come. The morning will be broken. My faith may be weak today, but I'm not staying where my faith is. I might be shaken because something. I have been shaken because of stuff. But here's the thing. I shall be comforted. I shall be comforted. Hallelujah. I want you to go to, now I'll, I'll um, uh, I'm going to wrap up with this, I think, this morning. I want you to go to Romans 15 with me. I, got a, I have a whole bunch more, but maybe I'll get into it next week a little bit more. Romans chapter 15. Now, this is written to the Roman Christians. You know, Paul's writing this to them and telling them that all the stuff that they're dealing with, the persecution of Rome, the difficulties that they're facing. And he says um, in verse, uh, verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. So whatever's been written has been written for our learning that we through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That you and I, whatever the Scriptures teach us, that you and I, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, and that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The patience 
and the comfort that comes through the word. Now, this isn't going to happen, okay? But if it did happen, I just want you to be aware of this. If Richard Jolla falls over dead, you're not separated because I'm still alive. I'm just not here. I'm just not here. Yeah, I just changed locations, that's all. Just have a different address today. But see, don't be afraid. Oh, well, if the diagnosis of something, bad thing, happens. Oh, you might be shaken. But where do we go? To the comfort of Scripture. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop with this this morning, but I, here's, here's a little bit of a thing the Lord, I was talking with Sharon about this on the way in. One of the things that we're struggling with in the church today is, is that we make affirmations, but we're not quoting Scripture. So we'll say stuff like, you know, we'll hear, I'm healed. And I'll, so I'll say to someone, okay, tell me where that's at. I don't know, but I know it's in the Bible. Jesus is my healer. Where is that? Because see, it's not through affirmations that I'm comforted. Some of you may have seen this book. I, I'm not, don't read it. It's ridiculous, but it's called The Secret. Anybody heard of that book? It was on Oprah's list. It's like one of her big things. You know, of course, Oprah said it so we can believe it, right? But it's called The Secret. And when you watch, there's a little bit, go on YouTube, you can watch the video of it. But when it goes through, it says, I am wealthy. I am healthy. I am prosperous. I'm a money magnet. People just want to hire me. They want to give me more money. They want to get, look, okay, so the secret is through positive statements, through positive statements, I can acquire things and that that is the secret of the universe. Okay, that's the devil's lie. It's partially true, but a partial truth is still a lie. Look at your neighbor and say, Amen. Stay with me now, all right? You don't make positive affirmations to get comfort and peace. You go to the Word and you receive comfort and peace because faith only comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, not by positive affirmation. So I've heard people say, oh, I'm blessed. Okay, so where is that? Where are you, where are you pulling that from? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, I know I am because God is, God is good. I said, oh, where's that at? I don't know, but I, I know he is. He's a good God, because we say it in church. God is good all the time. God is good, right? Those are just affirmations. Where's it at in the Bible? Yeah, I found his word, right? I found his word, and joy came. And joy came. You know, when we have funerals, when people say all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, well, they're with the Lord. If you ask them, well, how do you know that? How do you know they're with the Lord? 
You know, people will say stuff like, well, God took them and blah, blah, blah. And, okay, so where's that at? You can't usually find, they don't even have a clue. They're just making statements. Is your faith degenerated down to just statements? Or can you go to the Word and begin, amen, thank you, and begin to make declaration? The Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, all right? Now, he also is the one that stands with us in our good confession. Confession is two words in the Greek language. It's confession. It, it, what it means is, is that uh, with same words, okay? Same words is what could the word confession. You know, we think of confession is like, well, I'm confessing my sin or whatever. But confession in the, in the Bible means that you and I are coming into an agreement with what's being said. How can we come into an agreement with what God's Word says if we don't even know what it says? Well, the pastor said, I, I'm sorry, but I, I'm a powerful man of God, but my words are not spirit and life. Only His words are spirit and life. Amen. What does God say? Where can you back that up? Well, He meets all my need. Okay, so where is that? Right? Where is that at? Well, God, I, I just thank you, Lord. I'll have a good report tomorrow when I go to the doctor. Hey, that's a great prayer. But what are you firming that up with to have joy and comfort? Our Bibles, whether they're electronic or they're paper, should be marked up from one end to the other, from one end to the other, with the things that we are standing upon. Things that we are believing for. Hallelujah. This speaks to everything. You know, you're dealing with your kids that aren't serving God. Did you know that there's passages in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 that says that's under the curse, that is not the blessing of God, and that as you stand on those promises, they say things like this, that under the curse you'll watch your children and they'll serve other gods and not serve yours. Under the curse, you'll long for your children, but they will not be yours. But look, you're not under the curse. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law, so you're not under all that curse of Deuteronomy chapter 28. You're under the blessings of God. If the curse is that they'll serve other gods, then the blessing is they'll serve your God. If the curse is that you'll long for them and they won't be with you, then the blessing is they're with you and, they're, and you're not longing for that. You don't feel separated. Look, it may look like sometimes my kids are a million miles away from what I taught them to do, but the Word of God connects me to a reality that says, this is where they are, this is what they're doing, this is how they will walk, this is how they will live, and this is how they will die. Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy, for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Stand up with me, if you would. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Lord, you told us, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God, I thank you that there is a comfort 
that surpasses our understanding. I think about that passage in the book of Philippians 4 where it says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That there is a peace that we can have that surpasses anything and everything that we could be going through in our lives, Lord God, right now. There is a joy and a comfort that we can receive from your Holy Spirit. If we're willing to be comforted, we shall be comforted. And Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit, as you said in Romans chapter, um, in Romans chapter 1, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in whatever afflictions we face, God, that your word, that we would find your word today. That it would be more real to us, Lord God, than just phrases and statements and ideas. But Lord God, it would be as we have heard it from your mouth, spoken into our hearts and lives. Father, I pray in this building today, you who are the healer of broken hearts, those things that have been broken in our lives, Lord God, broken by our past, broken by our failures, broken by our disappointments in life, broken, Lord God, that you would heal the brokenhearted with your comforting power of your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We may have our altar workers, some of you that would come and just stand here at the altar with me today. Thank you, Father. Lord, we praise you for the comforting power of your Holy Spirit. May we find your word today, even before we leave this service, to give us peace and comfort in whatever it is that's going on or has gone on or is going to go on or is going on right now. Lord God, to give us the comfort and joy that we need to go forward. And I thank you for it. I'm going to ask while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you'd like, if you'd like someone maybe to share a word of encouragement with you, a passage of Scripture, uh, pray with you this morning. I want you to come right now, if you would. Maybe you don't know how to stand and you don't know what to stand on, but I want you to come. And uh, I want you to let these folks pray with you today. And I want them, they'll, they'll maybe have a verse to give you. Make sure you write that down, but I want you to come right now. Uh, I sense there are more. Don't leave, you know, look, don't leave here. It's early uh, today. Uh, don't leave without the comforting word of the Lord for your life today. Thank you, Father. Don't leave without that comforting word. Whatever verse it is that you need, whatever it is that you need to stand on, they can help you. They can pray with you. If you need healing today, they want to pray with you and stand with you. Amen. Turn and I'll stick around here. Dale's up here. He can help us. And Mary, come on up here. And uh, we can pray with you today. We're going to dismiss the service and uh, let you.